Welcome to a podcast with Aaron Schultz. Men's mental health matters. Live life with an outback mind. Live life with an outback mind, that's what it's all about. Stay calm, relaxed, happy, healthy and well. Thank you very much for joining in episode 189. Now today I have a very special guest by the name of uh, Ash Benelak who has an organisation called Cycle Well about cycling um, for the physical side of cycling, the benefits of that, but also the mental health side that uh, that comes with being outdoors, uh, being in collaboration with others and actually uh, using cycling as a, as a tool to be able to support our physical and mental well-being. It's such a a wonderful thing and um yeah basically not not you know i suppose is embraced in australia as what it is in other other european countries and other parts of the world where you know, cycling is a big part of um commuting but also it's you know it's a, a great uh, lifestyle um to be able to engage in and uh you know ash is really passionate about uh trying to promote cycling um in a previous life i was uh Deputy Chair of the Tasmanian Bicycle Council myself uh, to try and um, encourage active travel to work. You know, I think we become a bit complacent in modern life. We get in the car to go, you know, a kilometre up the road where we can jump on our bike and um, trying to educate people to, to, to move the body, I think, is, um, you know, really what it's all about. Move the body, settle the mind. That's really what it comes down to at the end of the day. So Ash and I are going to have a really good chat about that. Um, now, I just want to make special mention to The Real Shift to support the podcast if you're looking to change something in your life, uh, you've got a blockage or you want to uh, create a positive habit or, or make some significant changes in your life, they've got a nine-week deep dive program um, which has helped Outback Mind podcast listeners um, make some, some great changes in their lives. So um, great investment in yourself to be able to make uh, make that shift. You know, So you'll be a different person between now and Christmas if you picked up a program like this. I really encourage you to jump on their website and have a look. It's therealshift.com. If you go to therealshift.com forward slash deep dive, you'll see a bit about that program. If you mention the Outback Mind podcast, you'll get a 10% discount, which I think is pretty cool. So jump on, uh, invest in yourself, and um, yeah, you'll never look back. So appreciate it. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoy this chat with Ash and I. Uh, if you want to send me some feedback, support at outbackmind.com.au. G'day, Ash. G'day, Ash. Thanks for uh, having me on board. My pleasure, mate. Grateful for you being here all the way from Bendigo. Um, nice, and, yep. nice and fresh down there, they tell me. Yeah, that's it. Sunny Bendigo is about uh, minus one when I went for a ride yesterday morning. Mm. So we're well on the thick of uh, winter here. I don't miss, like, getting ice on my eyebrows and, uh, you know, having to wear, like, <laughs> bloody gloves, with it, which are real thick and... You know, yeah, you get home and you, you can't bloody, uh, you can't clench your fist because your hands are so bloody stiff, you know? Yeah, yeah, you've clearly, you've clearly ridden in regional Victoria before, if you know all those little tricks of yeah. the trade, that's exactly yeah. what happens. Yeah, my word, mate. It's, it's better up here, but uh, I did go for a ride the other morning and I did get pretty cold, but it was only about 15, you know, so nothing like that <laughs> yeah. there, so... 
minus five. Yeah, that's uh, incredible, mate. Incredible. Tell me uh, a bit about your journey. Uh, originally a Bendigo boy? Uh, yeah, originally a Bendigo boy, mum and dad. Um, I think we're second or third generation Bendigo people, maybe even longer. So they were, they'd been in Bendigo forever. Um, mum came from a family of 11. Dad came from a family of six. Mm. Um, both of them back, they were, um, feel they're both passed now, unfortunately, but mm. back in the day they were, um, that traditional upbringing of not overly educated, hardworking sort of middle class, um, uh, Dad started had to get his first job when he was fourteen, I think. Mum had to get her first job when she was fifteen. Jeez. And by the time they were married, I think they both had three jobs. They used to work in all the theatres around um, around Bendigo, and they had full time jobs and all sorts of stuff going on. So um, we were very much taught from a young age that if you want something, you got to work hard for it. Yep. So um, yeah, Mum Mum was from a Catholic family. That's why there was the eleven. So we had the sort of the the church, had to go to the church every weekend as well and do all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it was just a pretty standard, boring, middle-class country lifestyle, I guess, I had. Wouldn't be boring, mate. It would have been pretty awesome back then. You, you would have been out um, picking up frogs and, uh, you know, doing all the things that kids did, you know, back in the day rather than being stuck on a device, I reckon. Yeah, well, I, I used to have a, I had a next-door neighbour who, uh, him and I used to get up to all sorts of mischief. And uh, <laughs> we um, we lived near a, a paddock that had horses in it. And we burnt that down one day because I went and flogged some petrol and some matches from Dad's shed. And we, that got a little bit out of control very quickly. And I remember taking off and being up the back of the paddock and uh, seeing the, um, the fire trucks and everything coming with people trying to work out what the hell was going on. Mm. And that was uh, that was just some of the the fun and games that we used to get up to back when we were kids. It was good fun. There was oh. no mobiles back then, mate. You bring in back memories. A kid and I wagged school one day. We went down to the uh, the river. I flicked a cigarette butt, and it uh, caught fire on into the hay. And all of a sudden, it just went crazy. Um, <laughs> I ran over the road, called the fire brigade. They came and. They asked us what happened. I said, oh, I don't know. We, we saw it when we got here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, that's it. Uh, we just, ha- just happened to come across it. I've got yeah. no idea how it started. <laughs> that, that's it. But, but really, that's not what church uh, taught us back in the day. But anyway. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> interesting stuff, mate. So, so were you in, into fitness and everything when you were a young fellow or were you, you were a bit of a rat bag? No, that's, um, that's probably actually how my whole fitness journey started. So my mum and dad owned a... Um, a milk bar, the old-fashioned milk bar back when I was in grade, I think it was grade prep through to grade three. And um, so they they worked and worked and worked probably, oh, it would have been probably 18 hours a day, I think they worked back then in that milk bar. Dad's motto was, if there are people who are willing to come in and, you know, shop with us, then I'm going to stay open. Mm-hmm. And my brother, I've got one older brother who's about uh, nearly six years older than me, so he was... Um, off doing you know, his own thing with his mates and stuff when I was little. It was kind of like a, a generation gap there. So um, the way that mum and dad kept me occupied whilst they worked was basically um, letting me eat whatever I wanted <laughs> and sitting me in front of the TV and boys and TV and computer games and stuff, you know, that's life. Yeah. So unfortunately for me, I was, um, I was pretty much obese as, as a kid. Um, and we're talking... 35, you know, 40 years ago. Mm. So back in those days, obesity wasn't common for kids. Mm. 
So, um, yeah, my, my fitness and health journey came about once I got to about, I was the fattest kid in primary school and then I went out to uh, secondary school and there's probably five or 600 kids at secondary school because it was all the way from year seven up to year 12 and I was still basically the fattest kid at school. Mm. So I made the, um, the decision uh, when I was about, I think I was about 13 or 14 and I finally found a girl that I was interested in and wanted, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I remember her, I very vividly remember her saying, oh, he's, you know, he's cute and he's funny, but I couldn't go out of him because he's too fat. Mm. So that burns, as you can imagine, with a teenager. Yeah. Um, so that's when I made the decision then that I was going to have to do something about it, which very much, you know, years down the track, I've worked out that that's very much my personality around having a crack and making a bit of a change if I don't like things. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I went to mum and dad, paced me to go to a gym, and I went to the local gym and got right into um, lifting weights and running and um, diet and exercise and the whole work. So that whole um, interest in that was very much from that childhood um, trauma, I guess, for want of a better word, of basically being a fat kid. Mm, amazing, mate. It's funny how it yeah. works out, isn't it? You know, I, I, I get that. A lot of, lot of uh, guys don't sort of, you know, pick it up until they're later, so you're really lucky you did uh, get onto it at that age. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I, um, I have a lot of guys who come to our cycle well camps and who I train through my training who are still, um, they're still there. It's, it's, it's sad, but it's also it's kind of like a unique um, ability I've got to pick the guys who are still dealing with that whole weight issue that they've obviously carried their whole life. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. It's a lot of, there's a lot of media around um, how much the girls cop it with the whole looks and, and diet and all that sort of stuff. But boys get it in a different kind of way, you know. Boys are expected to be muscly and ripped and sporting and, you know, the whole works. Mm. But not everybody can be, so it can have right. pretty big impact on people. Oh, mate, everyone's environment's different, everyone's circumstances are different. Like, you know, your circumstances were quite unique where probably wasn't taken into consideration. You know, your parents were working hard, you were, you were given comfort to keep yourself busy, but that comfort yeah. has consequences and your body uh, has to deal with that, you know? Yeah, correct. Yep. Uh, parents, uh, parents always do what they think is the best they can do for their kids at the time, and then when we get a bit older, sometimes we have to unpack that a bit and, you know, and unravel it a bit. So Absolutely. it's all good. It's part of my story. So. Yeah, mate. Thanks for sharing that. Really, uh, yeah, no re- problem. really good to hear. So, so how did life progress from here from there? You started to sort of get yourself into shape and then move into doing things that you'd never done before? Yeah, I um, got into shape. Um, I had, um, my, as I said, my eldest brother only had the one. and I looked up to him as younger brothers do. He was like, you know, an idol. Everything he did, I wanted to do. Um, he got into uh, hockey for a while and was quite good at that. So I decided to go down that track as well and basically just wanted to be better than him or as good as him at, <laughs> at hockey. So got obsessed with that for a while and played representative hockey and that sort of stuff here locally and and then um, got um, a lot more into gym. I got um, really, really bitten by the bodybuilding bug. So I probably spent my high school years and my early 20s completely obsessed with the bodybuilding lifestyle. So um, doing all of the legal things and all of the not-so-legal things to get as big and as ripped and as strong and as huge as I could. Mm. Um, and that was, that was an interesting journey too. So that was um, <clears throat> taught me lots of lessons. 
and um, yeah, it's a it's a very interesting culture to be part of. For sure. How did that evolve for you, mate? Did you end up sort of getting unhealthy because you were too sort of focused on on you know trying to to be your best? Did you find that that actually uh, attachment causes a little bit of suffering, possibly? Yeah, it was actually it was quite interesting. So if we backtrack a bit, what actually happened is I got really, really um, into into the whole um, body issue thing when I was a teenager, as lots of teenagers do, and I developed what was what would now be called um, disordered eating. So I remember um, I'd gone ages with eating barely anything and training a couple of times a day and stuff. And I was at home one school holidays and I passed out in front of the fridge. So I can remember I was just about ready to give in and finally eat something, but passed out in front of the fridge, um, came to, wasn't in overly good shape. Um, I remember my mum took me to the doctor and the doctor said I'd had um, glandular fever, mm. bordering on chronic fatigue syndrome, mm. and was wondering what was going on. Um, secretly, my mum and dad didn't know that for months I'd been, basically, when we had dinner, I'd uh, take the meat and wrap it up in the tissue and take it out the back and give it to my dog really? and was just basically eating the vegetables because back in those days, everyone said meat was no good, it made you fat and you just had to eat veggies. Mm. So I dieted myself into a point of exhaustion and ended up with chronic fatigue. So um, then, you know, fast forward from there, then I went the other way. So then I had the body issues around, all right, well, if I can't be skinny, I want to be huge. So that then led into, oh, I think I had, I was going to uni full-time and I had two part-time jobs and I was basically spending all of my money on supplements and drugs and anything I could to get myself huge and massive at the time. Um, yeah, and that was just all the, the ongoing, you know, body issues that had come from, obviously, there was a fair bit of stuff that I'd internalised when I was a kid, so. Yeah. Oh, no doubt, mate, and we do, you know, we, we really, we, we, we get those sort of hits uh, early on and they can stay with us in the cellular, cellular memory and uh, we don't sort of realise at the time, but yeah, we're sort of reacting to, to something that, uh, that is deep inside us, you know, and sort of going through that loop uh, consistently. But did you did you get into steroids in that as well? Yeah, yeah, God, yes. Yeah. I spent probably well when I when I finished uni and uh, had to move to Melbourne to get a job um, in marketing. I sh- I'd been working ever since I was fourteen, so I should have had quite a bit of money. But I'd spent all of that basically on supplements and steroids. So mm. I basically had to move to Melbourne on a credit card. Mm. So. Um, it got very expensive and all-encompassing and I thought I was going to be a, you know, a, a professional bodybuilder and, you know, the whole thing. Mm. So, but but I, I also had, I had um, business aspirations back then too. I wanted, I, I wanted to be a pro and then I wanted to open a chain of gyms all around Australia. So I still had, I still had a sort of a business entrepreneurial type flair even though I was dealing with the other stuff. So it was mm. interesting. I've had a bit of an, a unique sort of ride. It's been it's been fun to sit back and think about it over the last few years. For sure, mate. Tell me, with steroids, what were the negative effects that come along with that? Uh, um, again, when you go back 20, probably 20 years ago now, I guess, we weren't, the people then weren't taking anywhere near the doses that um, people take nowadays. Mm. Um, and they, they were more they were more genuine. There wasn't as many counterfeit ones and stuff around. So it was probably as far as physical aspects go, there weren't any. I didn't take anywhere near enough for it to physically affect me. Mm. 
Um, and as far as mental, uh, people get, they don't get it, um, they don't get addicted to the actual drug, but they get addicted to the way the drug makes you look and the way the drug makes you feel and how mm. strong it makes you and all that sort of thing. So there's probably a little bit of that, I guess. Yep. Um, but again, also, I wasn't, I was uh, 18 to 21 or 22, thought I was bulletproof. So I wasn't going to the doctors getting blood tests or any of that stuff that people recommend you to do now. So, um, yeah. Mm, Who knows? Well, that's true, mate. But yeah, certainly uh, sounds like you you were awake enough to to move out of it. How did it transition for you? Like when you sort of stopped uh, using those, your body sort of obviously changed, and did that affect your um, your self self worth and your self image and that type of thing? Yeah, that was um, very hard. So very hard at the start. Um, so I was at my biggest uh, probably when I was about 20, 21, my last year of uni. So I'm 5 foot 10 and I was about 112 kilos, I think, back at my biggest. So mm. I was fairly large. Um, and then I decided to just go uh, cold turkey and just stop. Um, and that's as, a, as people have found out later down the track, you shouldn't really do that. You should wean yourself off it and do all sorts of stuff so that it doesn't wreck your body's natural ability to produce testosterone and all those sorts of things. So... I um, dropped a lot of weight uh, very quickly because I would have been in a situation where I wasn't producing testosterone naturally and I wasn't putting it in exogenously anymore. So dropped a lot of weight um, and then jumped back into hockey. So I jumped back into the sport that I used to enjoy and, and got back to a reasonably high level with that, which sort of helped from a perspective of having something again to attach myself to. So, you know, I stopped, att- I stopped seeing myself as a bodybuilder and started seeing myself as a hockey player again. Mm, amazing. So, again, again, not a, not a healthy way to go, the whole attachment thing, but that's kind of how I, how I transitioned out of that state. Yeah, having some purpose, I guess, really important. So, so yeah. how old are you now, Ash? 47. 47. So that was, geez, 25 years ago, I suppose. So... So, yeah, yeah. so you spent quite a bit of time in Melbourne and uh, you sort of stayed uh, involved with uh, some form of fitness through that period? Yeah, so I um, spent 10 years in Melbourne. I um, did a, a business degree here in Bendigo at La Trobe and then moved to Melbourne to start my career in marketing and was there almost um, 10 years to the day. Um, and during my time in Melbourne, um, I was basically still very much into the gym from a health and fitness perspective and trying to build a bit of muscle but it was more around staying lean and um, fit for hockey so I played state league hockey when I was in Melbourne for six or seven years and that was pretty much what my health and fitness was focused around back then. Mm, amazing mate. Yeah. So, so coming through then you obviously made the decision to move back to Bendigo not long after. Yeah, so we, um, I was lucky enough to um, be in the right place at the right time and worked with uh, L'Oreal um, and um, got some awesome opportunities there and was able to work my way up to being a marketing manager there, which then gave me um, some excellent um, contacts. And through those contacts, I was able to get a hair house, warehouse uh, franchise back here in Bendigo. Mm. 
So um, I had always wanted to have my own business. I hadn't wanted to be an employee for too long. Um, again, the subsequent work that I've done in the last 10 years, understanding who I am and what I'm about and stuff has, has very much helped to paint that picture and have me understand why I never wanted to be an employee. Mm. Um, so yeah, we went back and we opened up the hair house warehouse here and we were in there for about um, 18 months and then unfortunately that didn't go too well, it didn't go to plan and uh, we had um, another sort of light bulb moment for want of a better word in my life where um, I had gone from about 78 kilos when we came back to Bendigo, ballooned out to about 98 kilos, drinking a couple of slabs of um, Jim Beam during the week. Mm. Um, so self-medicating with the alcohol because of all the pressure because the business wasn't working. Mm. Slowly getting deeper and deeper into debt. Um, and my wife, who I'd been with for a very long time, we've been together since I was 21, um, she basically said, you're not the person that I know, you're not the person that I know, you need to choose between this business and whatever you're chasing out there, or me, but you're not having both. Mm. Um, so I went, got in the car, and uh, went to see my brother, and the long and the short of it was I ended up uh, declaring myself bankrupt. Mm. Amazing. So so there's another, another light bulb moment of um, bankruptcy is, is not a good place to be in, but uh, I had the choice of, do I stay with the person who I want to be with for the rest of my life and do I get back to being who I am or do I keep chasing this capitalist financial, you know, money-making thing that I've gotten myself into? Yeah. So, so there you go. That's, that's how that happens. Incredible, mate. What did you do? Like, obviously, you were pretty unhealthy. What did you do to get that sorted out? Um, so when I... Um, what did I do? For the first few, uh, actually, always having a plan, I very quickly went back to L'Oreal and got myself another job as a sales rep so that I could keep earning some money. Um, and then I slowly sort of, as I worked through all of the, I don't, I don't think I was depressed, um, but I think I was pretty, pretty close to it. I wasn't, I certainly wasn't up and about. I was, I was very angry. Mm. I know um, people say that some of the stages of depression include anger. Um, and I think I was, I think I was very, very angry for quite a while, just at the way that um, I was treated when I was bankrupt, and just at, um, you know, the lost, the lost dreams and the lost, the lost everything that comes with that, and having to admit that you got things wrong. And my, um, my relationship with failure was a pretty shitty one back then. Mm. So um, you know, I had that traditional. I very, I very much had a fixed mindset. I didn't very much didn't have a growth mindset. There was no. There wasn't a lot of positive reframing or, you know, looking for lessons or meaning-making or any of that sort of stuff going on initially. Um, that all came later with time. Um, so, yeah, I basically just jumped back on the horse and got myself back into working in mark sales and marketing and tried to basically sort of steady the ship for a while to see where I could go. Mm, unreal, mate. Well, firstly, you've got to be proud of yourself to, to stay on track and not sort of further you know go down the hole and uh you could have easily taken the easy option and hit the booze and lost the wife and you know done a lot yes. of stuff you know which is pretty common but you know full credit yeah. to you for, for turning it around yeah thanks yeah it was i actually i don't know I, I think it's very much had a lot to do with 
um, my upbringing of, of parents basically, you know, teaching us, instilling us hard work and family are pretty much the cornerstones of, our, of a good life. Yes. Yep. And um, I certainly didn't want to lose. I was happy. I knew I could keep working hard. I knew I could find something else and kind of work my way out of the hole. But I wasn't prepared to lose a family from it. So yeah. I think that was pretty much the guiding, the guiding principle that helped me there. Yeah, awesome, mate. Now, how long until kids come along? Oh, um, we got back on our feet. We've both got good jobs. And then the kids came along. Our eldest was 10. So my eldest daughter, Adeline's 10. And then I've got Elsie, who's just about to turn nine. Mm-hmm. And Oscar, who's just turned six. Mm-hmm. So I was a little old, kind of old. I guess I was mid, mid-30s. Yep. So um, Chantal's younger than me, five years younger than me. So she was still a good age. And yeah, I was a little bit older. So yeah, the kids came along and the whole world changed again, mm-hmm. as it does. Did you maintain your well-being through that period? Did I maintain what your well-being through that sort of period of having kids and so uh, forth, or did you, did you slacken off a bit? Um, yeah, that's a good question. So prior to having kids, I was riding about fifteen thousand k's a year. So I was doing three or four hundred k's a week, and then going and doing weekends away and all that sort of stuff. Um, the first year when we had Adeline, I went down to about 10,000 Ks. Then when we had our second child, I went down to 6,000 Ks. And then when we had Oscar, I think I hit my all-time low of about 2,500 kilometres for a whole year, which is tiny for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that stage, I used to also go to gym sort of three to four times a week. Um, when kids came along, I, I would have gone to gym less than once a week for probably four or five years. Um, so I fell off, yeah, fell off the wagon as far as the physical activity and stuff went for the first couple of years till we worked out what was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily for me, because I'd done a whole heap of uh, research and work and study and all sorts of stuff, I was able to maintain a healthy body weight during that time because I could just manage it all with diet. Um, and I didn't drink anymore and that sort of stuff, so I could still maintain my weight, but as far as physical activity and, you know, getting the benefits of that, that definitely dropped off for the first few years, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. It, yeah. it pretty much does, doesn't it? You sort of you change uh, and you shift gears a little bit. and um, Yeah. You know, it's really, really uh, important to try and have that uh, time to yourself uh, to, to support your well-being. Otherwise, you know, everyone does suffer from it if you're yeah. looking after yourself, you know. So it's, it's an important conversation to have with your partner just to say how much time can we commit to our, our well-being, uh, not our social well-being, but our, you know, our, our inner well-being and uh, be able to sort of come up with some structure so you can, you can get through yeah. those periods, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They're the sort of things that... I remember we went to, um, we went to prenatal classes and um, that, that topic wasn't even discussed. So that topic around how we're going to how are we going to stay individuals and not get completely absorbed by the child and yeah. you know, how's mum going to get mum time and how's dad going to get dad time, all that sort of stuff. Even though it was only 10 years ago, it wasn't really covered. I think it, it, it really should be for people because it completely changes your whole life and you, you can't explain it until you, you're there. Mm, big so, time. you know, it's, it's hard. I remember I was shocked, to be honest, like... Um, I just never had any training. Every everyone I asked for advice wasn't really forthcoming with it. I couldn't really ask my dad any suggestions, you know. So I actually like felt really lost when I 
became a yeah. father for the first time and um yeah. Um, yeah, I really, I really didn't know what to do, you know. <laughs> so, no. yeah, but we went yeah. to prenatal classes and that as well, and uh, you know, there was none yeah. of that. You know, the, the really, the really important stuff doesn't really get uh, get get discussed. No, and there's also the there's the um, everyone gets very, very much uh, concerned and interested and obsessed with how's the mum doing, and quite often the dad sort of gets left in the background, and we don't really know what role we're meant to play people forget that it's a massive change for us as well and there's all sorts of stuff that goes on and there's studies that now show that when men become fathers for the first time our testosterone levels drop and all that sort of thing so there's all sorts of there's all sorts of stuff that actually goes on that can quite easily be forgotten about because that traditional role of oh well we've just got to be the you know be the provider and make sure it's all there yeah it's um yeah it can it can throw a lot of guys off my word, and, and and I was one of them too, and you know I know plenty of others that have had the same issues, and um, yeah, look, you know there wasn't any uh, any support. I felt weak. I didn't want to go and get help from a counsellor or whatever, you know. But um, I just had to battle through, and that's where I started to have a few beers, and that just uh, you know sort of settled myself down. But um, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's it's not easy, and and this is the stuff that we don't learn through school or or whatever, no. and you know those education. Um, systems and, and really to have support around you I think is really important. Yeah, absolutely. It's unfortunately for a lot of for a lot of guys when we um, again the societal thing of we get married and, you know, we go from having our our mates, um, and, you know, there might be sport or some some sort of thing that we go to regularly to have that sense of community engagement stuff. We get married and it's all good and then we have kids and we're sort of thinking okay, I shouldn't be going out now, I shouldn't be catching up with my mates, I need to be here and home and stuff. And it, it leaves that, and there's nothing wrong with that, and if that's what guys want to do, that's cool, but it sort of leaves a, um, a space there where you really just need to talk to other people who've had similar experiences to work this stuff out. Agreed. But yeah. quite, often, quite often we don't, because we cut ourselves off from those exact people. Yes, big time, mate. And this is where we can get smarter, like, you know, to be guided with a mentor, someone that's actually like walked the path that's done it before, I think is really yep. important, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, it doesn't happen in life. We get sort of thrown to the wolves early on as a young fella, you know. you got to get out and get the job done and, uh, you know, keep providing and contributing and that sort of thing. But um, you, uh, you you really uh, lose your identity primarily or, or you know, you're a, you're a um, awareness of who you really are because we come so distracted with... Um, contributing and performing would you agree yeah i think we get um guys guys are very good at um chasing outcomes and you know and striving and um, making stuff happen and we get we get rewarded for that when we're kids and we get taught that that's what we're meant to do and Mm -hmm. it's very it's also very easy to to switch off and just keep just keep producing or just keep striving just keep getting the next job and the next promotion and you know all that's all it's all good above the surface Yes, but um, you know, a lot of guys don't don't get a chance to do the thinking below the surface and actually work out who they are and what they want. Yeah, and we find a lot um, at our cycle well camps where the guys come and they start a bit of that, and then that that gets a bit scared because once you start going there, once you start asking yourself those questions, well, what happens if you can't work the answers out? Like where do, where do you where do you go? Who do you talk to? Yes, that's right. And that, you know, that's 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 what um, that's what men need more of. But they they need it in um, we we call it a cycle. Well, they need it in like bloke approved formats. So they're not 
men don't do the sitting down on the couch looking into each other's eyes talking about their feelings and emotions very well it's yes. not how we're wired there's, there's research that proves it yes, yes. Um, you know we do we do stuff shoulder to shoulder we do stuff as part of an activity so that's why you know cycling and stuff i think is hugely popular with middle-aged guys because we can get out on the road we can sit next to each other on a bike we don't have to look at each other because we've got to look at the road, but we can still talk and we can still have that communication and the whole works, but we can do it the, the blokey way. Yes. Yep. And, um, you know, I think, I think that's what we need more of. For sure, mate. So, so how did the cycling thing really evolve for you and, and getting into Cycle Well as your passion and your, your business? Um, I was lucky when I was at the um, one of my jobs, they brought um, a employee resilience programming and we got taught by a company called TechWorks from the US mm-hmm. and they used a, a train the trainer model so we had seven and a half thousand staff and for those seven and a half thousand staff there were 30 people who got to apply to become a qualified trainer and then our job was to then train the rest of the staff in um, this resilience program mm-hmm. so I applied for that um, at that stage I had started some post-grad study in wellness as well because I was looking to transition into this sort of thing so I'd already just about completed a post-grad in wellness which was great so that that got me in um, that company TechWorks was a company who actually trained the US uh, military so they trained over a million soldiers in their resilience program which is all positive psychology based stuff yeah and uh, they'd done that to reduce the incidences of PTSD for the um, armed forces. So um, we, had, we had them teach a specific um, customised program for our course, for our staff, and then I went and started training that. And I remember, um, I remember training groups of people and thinking, the women, the girls, they love this, this is awesome, they're always contributing, they're always sharing stories and stuff, that's great, but the men, were not so much contributing during the classes, but the men would quite often be the ones who'd come up later when everyone was gone and ask me the questions and ask more information. So I thought, if I could bottle this up and, and take this content and actually create some form of thing where the guys would feel comfortable, where I could deliver this to them when they're already relaxed and they already feel comfortable and they're actually more receptive, I reckon that would be really cool. Mm. And because I was into cycling, I'd seen a lot of guys who do the same thing. So they ride every weekend because they feel connected. It's part of their community. They talk to their mates. They share experiences, all that sort of stuff. And a lot of them don't even realise all of the things that they're doing are actually evidence-based, like scientifically-based stuff. So, you know, they're sharing, they're showing empathy, gratitude, all sorts of stuff that they're doing while they're on the bike. Yes. So I thought, oh, I'm going to give this a crack. I'm going to, I'm going to create a, a cycling weekend. So it gives the guys who are in that stage where they're not quite ready to tell people that they're looking for a bit of help yet. So they can just tell their mates, I'm just going away on a cycling weekend. But in reality, what we'll do is we'll take them away, we'll let them have a ride. They've got a common, um, a common interest and a common purpose. So when they meet new people, they've at least got something to talk about because they're all like bikes. I'll take them out, get, them, get some exercise into them, climb some mountains in the morning so that they come back relaxed and, you know, all the energy's gone and they're ready to just sit back and listen. And then I can deliver this content to them in a blokey kind of way. And so that's kind of how CycleWell started. We were, we were originally um, a men's health, men's mental and physical health organisation, um, just running men's cycling events. 
but recently we've also been asked to start getting into the women's events as well, so we're going to try one of those this year as well. Mm, amazing, mate. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so that's how it started. How long has it been up and running? Uh, four years. We, um, we ran our first two events in 2019, and then um, in 2020 we had one event, uh, sorry, two events. We had one in uh, Victoria and one in uh, New South Wales. So I've only had four events in four years because I've had to cancel six events due to bushfires and COVID. <laughs> yeah, God. It's been a, a rough, rough. <laughs> did, that, did that make yeah. you feel like going back to Jim Beam again? Uh, yeah, it, um, it was really good. It showed me again very much that money money is actually not really a big goal for me. It's more doing the stuff that I love and, and making a bit of a difference because yes. if I was just chasing money, I would have given this up a long time ago because it still owes me money. Yes. But, um, you know, I'll get there eventually and it's, it's what I love to do. So, yeah. Yeah, mate, that's it. And, and really that, that, that's a key lesson right there is helping people decide what it is that they like to do and sticking to that rather than being attached yeah. to, you know, the, the, yeah. make, the make-believe stuff because that, that causes um, you know, disconnection, I reckon. And, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. you, you've weaved your way through uh, all the soup to be able to get to where you are now to, to do something that you actually enjoy and you're passionate about. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, um, it's uh, very good. I, learnt, I suppose I learnt the hard way. When we, in our Be Well plan um, that I train as my other job, we very much teach people to link um, their objectives and their goals to, if they can, as much as possible to a higher, to their higher values mm. and then to also include their character strengths in that as well because if they've got the, you know, if they've got a character strength involved and it's linking back to a higher value, then when things get tough and, you know, times are pretty shitty and the motivation goes, if it's linked back to a higher value, then you're more likely to be able to sort of grit your teeth and keep working through it. That's right, yes. Um, unfortunately for me, when I was when I had the shop, it wasn't linked to a higher value. It was, I was in the shop totally to make money. So when things got bad, I got bad. Yes. There was, I, you know, there was no real reason for me to do it anymore because I wasn't working towards what, what really mattered. I was just chasing dollars. Yep. Yeah, you lost so your... I learned that the hard way. Well, you do, mate, and, and that's the thing. Like, I just believe the education system... Uh, gears us towards that, you know, and it doesn't actually give us the ability to be able to follow our, our hearts and our real truth and our purpose. So I think every man, every boy has got a purpose. we just got to, you know, trust that and find it and then and then live our life in that space. And I think we can be physically and mentally well. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're mm. definitely... Um Craig, I follow a lot of uh, Craig Harper stuff and one of the things that Craig says a lot is that motivation is just an emotion and because it's an emotion it's going to come and go yes so um you know there's no point when you're feeling 10 foot tall and bulletproof there's no point saying this is what i'm going to do you have to do something that even when you're at your deepest darkest depths when you think about it it still means something to you because that that's what's going to get you through because life life is hard and people are can be assholes and the world's a shitty place and really terrible things happen to really good people and Mm. Really great things happen to complete assholes, and that's that's just life. So you know that's you got to you can't stick your head in the sand and pretend that's not life. You got to you got to you know understand how it works, and you got to link into what's going to keep you motivated and keep you moving through the inevitable ups and downs. 
the good thing about what you do with cycling is you get up early and you go riding and that connects you to yourself and it connects you to you know the truth of of, of life you know i think all the yeah. all the make-believe stuff is what uh, what makes us get depressed or anxious or whatever it's actually getting yeah. back to that sense of um equilibrium again which uh, which keeps us grounded you know and i, I just yeah. think we've got so many um so many uh you know things trying to knock us off balance and keep us ungrounded you know to be able to sort of yeah have that daily ritual that you do something to care for yourself i think it's really key because that, that that's your baseline absolutely yeah it's that it's a way to um sort of bookend your day we um we teach the guys who come to our cycle well events to do uh mindful walking mm-hmm. so a lot of them sort of scoff at it and you know there's the demographic at our cycling events is usually 35 to about 65, so it's a broad, you know, a broad church of blokes, and most yeah. of them um, think it's ridiculous to say we're going to do some mindful walking, but yeah. then amazingly they get their shoes and socks off and they just walk around outside on the grass and stuff, and we, you know, get them to zero in on their fences. Yep. And it only takes maybe, you know, four or five minutes of doing that, and then you ask them how they feel, and they're just amazed. It's yep. just something as simple as doing that which costs nothing and takes five minutes mm. and they're just blown away and that quite often can then help us to open the door around you don't have to keep putting mental health and well-being into the too hard basket or the fluffy basket because there are bloke approved ways to do it for want of a better word you, you don't you don't have to sit under a triangle and be chanting and have <laughs> incense burning yeah. to be mindful yeah that's so, it mate. you know they just we need to normalise that stuff for God. Dead right. And what's happened, Ash, you think about it, you're not much younger than me, but uh, how much we've been denatured over the journey, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, living next to that paddock when you're a young fella, you were actually in it, you are amongst it. You were, you were grounded you were more on your parasympathetic nervous system. Like those guys, three minutes with yeah. your feet on the ground will get your, you know, your your cortisol uh, back to a nice balance again, and then you'll, you'll start to feel yeah. calm and your heart rate will drop. So it's not, yeah. not, rocket, not rocket science, you know. Um, yeah, that's right. It's uh, just about getting back to the simplicity of what it's all about. And, you know, what I mentioned before about getting back to the truth, um, that is the truth, you know. That's, that's what we're meant yeah. to be doing here as humans, you know, having our feet on the earth and, and not being disconnected from, from the earth. I, I think that, that that is a pure... Um, pure remedy in itself, you know, having that uh, that awareness and that connection again. Yeah, I think um, a couple of a couple of sort of moments that I've worked out over the journey for me has very much been that um, marketing, which is basically it's, a, it's common for marketers to say we we spend our lives finding ways to get people to buy shit they don't need with money they don't have to impress people who don't care. Exactly. And that's pretty much what we do. And then you add over the top of that the fact that in this consumption and scientification world, unless science can prove that something is is true, then nobody wants to believe it. So yes. there's you know there's ancient wisdom that's been going around for thousands of years around meditation and mindfulness and connectedness and all that stuff. Yes. But unless there's a randomised, controlled, double-blind, peer-reviewed study, 
people just go, no, well, that's all bullshit. I'm just going to keep consuming. I'm just going to keep buying the next thing to get the next little dopamine hit. And until science comes up and tells me that, yeah, that's actually true, I'm not going to believe it. Oh, mate, it's incredible, isn't it? And, and usually those studies are funded by someone that wants to get an outcome from it, you know? Yeah, so totally. There's this, there's this innate truth and this innate wisdom that which is beyond all, you know, paradigms, um, you yeah. know, and... Uh, yeah, we can create whatever we think is right, but really, uh, you know, uh, a lot of that stuff is, um, is is make believe in many ways. You know, um, I just yeah. don't know. You know, look, you look at the and you really hit on an important thing. You look at the indigenous cultures and just how dialed in they were. You know, uh, yeah. and, and now we're disconnected, yeah. but now we're 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 saying that we know all this stuff, which I think we're we're miles away from at the end of the day. Yeah, totally. We're. Um I mean, the science can prove lots of things and it's all awesome, but evidence-based doesn't just mean randomised controlled trials. It can also be observational and it can also just be, well, I do this and I feel better and that's yeah. all I need to know. If I go outside and walk around with bare feet and feel connected with nature and I feel better, mm. then that's what I'll do. I shouldn't need to wait for someone to package that up for nine ninety five a week. <laughs> Yeah, and that's for me right. to feel like I'm I'm part of something now, so I'm allowed to do it. Exactly, mate. Yeah, with with Crazy. me, run, running was a great thing for me for my well being, and you know I went from having all the gear and all the watches and that to one day breaking my watch, <laughs> and then I um and then I started to run barefoot, you know, and uh, I got stronger, yep. the legs, you know, everything worked better, and then I started to run around the streets barefoot. Everyone thought I was stupid, but uh, yep. I, I felt amazing, you know, and um, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're getting back to, to moving like the body's meant to rather than sort of having a bit of rubber between you and the earth or, or whatever. Yep. And, uh, you know, yeah, you give yourself a chance, I guess. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty simple to get, um, to get yourself on an even keel and get sort of on the, on the road to a better version of you. It doesn't actually cost anything other than your time. Mm. And time is not really a cost then, it's an investment. And I think that's sort of how we need it's not costing mate. you anything. The Eastern cultures, they always talk about sadhana, invest 10% of your day into your well-being and you'll be fine yeah, through this yeah. lifetime. So, you know, it's been been about 13 or 14 years for me, but I do that. You know, every morning it's, uh, it's a, uh, an hour and a half, two hours. It was two and a half hours. It sort of fluctuates yep. between the two depending on what's going on. But if I can get up at 4 a.m., mate, between 4 and 6, 6.30, you know, you've got the world to yourself primarily. It's... Uh, yeah. It's amazing because yeah. there's, there's no domination at all. And you get back to, you know, that's when you find the sense of truth and, and what it's all about. And, um, you know, those, those Eastern cultures, um, they, they connect with that, you know, and, uh, and we, we disconnect with it. We, we, uh, we get up, we whack, we whack a coffee and we, 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 we watch Sunrise and watch, watch Koshi, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 yeah. Real, the real Crazy. truth is, is getting up and watching the sun actually come up, I reckon. Yeah, it's, it's, um, we, uh, in the better weather, we get up um, here in Victoria and I've got a couple of mates and we, I'm up at five and we're on the road. At, we meet up at about uh, five past six, which usually gets us to see the sunrise as we're rolling off. Yep. We roll around for 30 or 40 k's and have a coffee together and, you know, do what, do what blokes do, hang a bit of shit, have a bit of a laugh and then head off for the day and <laughs> off we go and that's a great way to start the day. It is, mate. It's awesome. Absolutely, yeah. You got your breath working, your mind settles down, your body's had a 
uh, you know, a bit of a fix with movement and uh, and you're away and it's a great way to, yeah. to to lay the foundations for everything ahead of you, you know, you're not sort of agitated and um, yeah, there's lots of lessons in that, mate. So so with regards to cycle, well, if anyone's interested in looking at what you do, um, uh, what's the best way to, to follow you? Um, so website is uh, cyclewell.com.au or we're on um, Facebook and Instagram. Um, I'm not overly active on Instagram because at Cyclewell I'm a one-man band at the moment, So, um, but we're, we're definitely there and we put some posts up. And if anybody's ever interested, if they just want to email me at ashley at cyclewell.com.au, yep. um, that'd be great. We've got some really cool stuff coming up with some um, partnerships to raise money for regional uh, mental health and wellbeing, preventative mental health and wellbeing, which I know you're a fan of. Absolutely. Um, got that coming up next year and, and some other really exciting partnerships with some other charities in the mental health space as well, which is great. We've got to do something, mate, and get 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 uh, some action happening up here in Queensland, I reckon. Um, yeah, I reckon uh, we could do that pretty easy. Yep, the participation would be really good and we've got lots of... Um, Great uh, areas to be able to get on a bike and get moving, you know. So we'll have, have to have yeah, a absolutely. conversation about that, that's for sure. Yeah, we will. It'll be great. Too easy, mate. Thank you very much for your time. And, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm sure we're going to have more in the future. And, uh, yeah, hopefully some people will reach out and look at the wonderful work you're doing. And, you know, full credit to you um, to where you are now compared to where you were when you were a 13 or 14-year-old, uh, you know, to, to actually, like, you know, had the courage to change your life back then and sort of, you know, go through the ups and downs of it all, but now you're on a nice pathway to um, to good physical and mental well-being and, and not only you are going to benefit from that, but everyone else, you know, around you and, um, you know, the broader community. So, you know, well done, mate. I think um, what you're doing is tremendous. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for the chat this afternoon and hopefully we can uh, make some stuff happen up there in Queensland.